Hello, and welcome back to the Varsity Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Rich. In case you're new here, the Varsity Cinema Podcast is a podcast dedicated to the upcoming screenings at the Des Moines, Iowa-based cinema that specializes in not only new films, but rep screenings of films rife for rediscovery as well. We're at the precipice of absolutely stacked holiday programming, and I will briefly list all the titles at the end of the episode, but if you're able, please, please, please come to the Varsity in December as often as you can. Uh, It is just the most barn burner uh, slate I think I've seen at the Varsity yet. It's absolutely incredible, and uh, there's not going to be a bad night at the movies, I can tell you that much. As far as personal recommendations based on what I've watched this month, uh, one of the standouts has been Martin Scorsese's After Hours from the year of my birth, 1985. Griffin Dunn stars as Paul Hackett, a word processor in New York City, and showcases his one crazy night out where things escalate into a Kafka-esque fever pitch. If you're an Uncut Gems fan, but you like a little taste of situational comedy, this one's going to be for you. It's frenetically paced, incredibly acted, and wildly stacked with a cast that's just so wild to me uh, that they were all in the same movie, and successfully makes you feel as claustrophobic as the main character. Uh, This one knocked my socks off and really blew the top... Uh, blue to the top of my you know favorite Scorsese uh, films. It's just incredible. I know it's a little bit more of an underrated pick, and I know everybody has their favorite. Uh, you know whether it be Goodfellas or uh, Raging Bull or Taxi Driver, uh, but this is easily in the upper echelon Scorsese for me. And you can check this one out currently on the Criterion Channel. This episode will have a little bit of a different flavor as my. Wife is uh, getting ready to have our second baby at any given moment uh, at the time of this recording. So uh, when this goes up, I very, you know, very well might be the father of two children. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, very exciting. But due to that fact, I'm going to kind of reduce the episode down to mostly the interview with uh, that's coming up here and kind of list the films briefly, and that'll be kind of it for this month. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a conversation with Marissa Vaughn, the writer and director of Knee High. It's her debut feature-length film, which will be opening at the Varsity on Sunday, December 10th. There will be a moderated Q&A with Marissa, lead actor Michael Ridley, and cinematographer Bruce James Bales. There are only 10 seats left, guys, so snag them up before it's too late. Here's that conversation I had with Marissa. Welcome back to the Varsity Cinema Podcast. I'm joined today by native Iowan filmmaker, uh, writer-director Marissa Vaughn, who will be showing her debut feature, Knee High, at the Varsity on Sunday, December 10th. First and foremost, congratulations on the film. Um, that's got to be pretty excited to have that kind of all wrapped up and completed. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's real surreal. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it, it looks great. It's nicely edited and, and well acted and well paced. So I'm, I'm again, I mentioned off mic, you know, I'm glad I got to see it ahead of release. So thanks again for that opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much. I know it's a it's a time commitment to watch a whole feature film. <laughs> Sometimes it can be. Yeah, It really um, is. It really is. We're all busy. I get it. Yeah, yeah, we're all doing the hustle. So it's just how it goes sometimes. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of the impetus of how Nehi, you know, came to be and what inspired you for this story in particular? Yeah, for sure. So Nehi started as a short film back in 2018. Um, and we were, uh, we were fiscally sponsored by Des Moines Film Society, Ben's, uh, Ben's baby. <laughs> um, and we got to make the short back in 2018. And we put that out and it just didn't feel like the story was over yet. 
And when I wrote the short, I always knew somewhere within me knew that there was a feature. I just wasn't ready yet. Um, and the short was really well received. And I was like, I think it's time. And then I took my sweet time and took four years to decide what the real story was. Um, and then uh, the whole script came out in like three days, I think. So it was the story waited and then it happened. Uh, <laughs> creativity is weird. And yeah. And then we made it the same year. Oh, wow. So how long was the shoot? I mean, pumping out a script in three days is insane, uh, by the way, but like, truly, <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but how long was the shoot? How long did that take you to kind of make it all happen in that regard? The, so the actual production was 15 days. Um, the, I will say that it was just the first draft of the script that was three days. Okay, and then fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think we ended up shooting like maybe the seventh draft, some, you know, you know how it goes. Um, and I want to say from script writing to the end of production, not including post-production, because we know that that's a whole other beast. Um, I think it was about February to October. It's like 10, 9, 10 months. Well, that's a good chunk of time. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. It's a, and it's a longer film, too. I mean, you're almost hitting the two-hour um, you know, runtime. So that's that's got to take a lot of time just with the editing and everything uh, yeah. on top of that. So yeah, and really finding the pace and like letting things breathe where they need to breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was I was actually really surprised because I, I, I've mentioned this on like other podcasts uh, that I've like just been a part of. And I do find it always fascinating how runtimes tend to just seem to have extended and extended uh, as you go uh, in, yeah. this, in this <laughs> yeah. century for whatever reason. But I I was kind of with that in mind, just with any movie that like hits almost the two hour mark, I'm always like in the back of my mind, like, is this necessarily needing to be this long? And there wasn't an ounce of fat on this movie. So I, I was like really impressed by that alone. Like not saying I expected it to, you know, had have some like <laughs> saggy parts or something, but you never know. And, uh, and it was like just a pleasant surprise that it was just like kind of the right, it was the right way to edit it. And like, like you said, let it breathe a little bit because so much of the way that this movie kind of operates is all about like letting things breathe and just kind of sitting with things. And I yeah. thought on that front, like it really, it really did a, a great job of that. And yeah, I don't know. It just really kind of lent itself to the story in a way that I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. Uh, I wasn't sure what to get, you know, like what the vibe was. And, you know, it was just very like, just like a really nice, even not slow, but just like enough to kind of just like be a contemplative. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for is like, it's a contemplative tone uh like the entire film which i thought was i thought worked very very well and it kind of hypnotizes you in a in a sense too because you're just <laughs> kind of like you're almost like think you're like man now i'm like thinking about what what's cal thinking and now i'm thinking about what cal might be thinking and now i'm like you're kind of <laughs> you're kind of like sitting in that space with him which is really interesting uh you know i i love it when movies can kind of like affect you in that way so i thought that was a really cool touch Thank you so much. That's like the best review I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, not a lot of people have gotten to see the movie, like outside of our weird little echo chamber of like the people who worked on it and a few super close friends. So I'm really glad that all of that read for you and resonated for you. And that's such a huge compliment that like you were able to be thinking about what Cal is thinking about. And I'm for sure going to write down uh, a little bit hypnotic contemplation. <laughs> I'll put that yeah. on the back of the DVD cover. There you go. <laughs> Hey, happy to be quoted. That's fine. Yes. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And so and 
this was shot in Madrid, right? In Iowa? Yes. Madrid in, in, in and, and around? Madrid, Ballard. Okay. In Des Moines. Like a little bit in Des Moines. Okay. Oh yeah. Ballard. I think that's where the basketball game yeah, was happening. School. Yeah. 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 Cool. So I, I'm from a small town, Iowa. Uh, I grew up in a town called Roland. So, um, you know, the conversations and settings in terms of just like how things were handled just felt so familiar and, and, and relatable to me. And so was, this, was there like a particular tire draw to how you kind of landed in that, like in Madrid or just small town, Iowa in general, or I, I'm just kind of curious, like what, what was like the reasoning for setting it where you set it in terms of the small town vibe, I guess. Yeah, I, so in my head, obviously we shot in Madrid and it's very blatantly in like Madrid Ballard. In my head, when I wrote the short and the feature, it was in Agency, Iowa, down by Ottumwa. Um, Cause I'm, I'm from Ottumwa. My dad lives in Agency now and he's been there for five, six years, something like that. But we've always had like the property where he lives now. So I spent a lot of time growing up in Agency and there's this specifically the gas station scene there is really just kind of based on me eavesdropping in like it's not there anymore the building is still there but the hair salon now it used to be an ice cream shop that all the far it was I don't know they had ice cream and food but all the farmers would go there at like 5 a.m and eat breakfast and like the eavesdropping there was so rich and then same with there's one gas station there's a BP like on your way out of agency the conversations you hear in there are just they're so good and they're so exactly what you said they're so familiar and I that's how I found like the way that Rich and Phil talk especially Mm -hmm. um and like the tone for some of the scenes with all of them was just eavesdropping (laughs) and yeah I just I just knew it needed to be in a small town that wasn't it wasn't like people people don't come in to Des Moines the farmers don't come into Des Moines to get their breakfast or anything like that like they're in Madrid they're at um that gas station we shot in is called J Bros great (laughs) it's so great and they were so kind for letting us film there um but yeah it needed to be somewhere that the conversations felt authentic yeah and and it certainly rang true i thought uh, as well like i mean it definitely felt like something that you would totally stumble upon as you're like picking out a candy bar or something because like uh in my in my town of like 1300 it was so similar we had a a grocery store and then there was like a deli in the back and i swear to god like at any given time there were always like the same four guys sitting at a booth they never left they were just talking the entire time uh (laughs) and yeah eating nothing but they were just hanging out it was just like the weirdest thing but uh it's so strange i think in the original script i wrote it at like at a casey's Okay. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> how am I going to get clearance to film at a Casey's? Like, right. No, no. I think the the location you chose was much better and a little bit more, more accurate. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I, I loved that. And I think it's fair to say like Cal is, I'm trying to word this like as well as I can. He's emotionally closed off, but or maybe he's just like a little bit more like inarticulate and in, in terms of like how he's feeling in a succinct way. It's not that he, maybe he's like scared to emote i'm not sure uh but it does seem yeah. like he he's kind of like in a in a zone where he really doesn't want to feel like he's appearing vulnerable um and and just kind of like a general air of avoidance of kind of like personal conflict uh anything to kind of ruffle his emotional feathers so to speak so sure. he kind of you know watches he struggles along uh almost in real time but also like growing and kind of finding his way in that capacity by the end 
especially like the bar scene, you know, is like kind of him just like, all right, walls down. I'm finally just going to like cut loose. Uh, you see glimmers of him being open and warm, like when he's alone with Avery, his son uh, in his bedroom, uh, which that scene got me really bad because I, I have a two year old and I have another one that's like due in like literally any like any time. So soon. So, so soon. So, so, so <laughs> but I know that moment because I put him down every night. So it's like uh, me and him just we're alone. And, and it's just like you can feel like there's a there's like love in the air and there's like hair uh and honestly he has the same bunny as the one we got him like as That's a kid so, so like That's as a baby so, so yeah so i was just like oh my god uh so i felt that um but is is cal is cal based like on anyone in particular because again it just I, you know going back to the gas station conversations it felt extremely tied to like the way a small town straight white dude would like I kind of handle, you know, kind of any adversity in that way. So I was just kind of curious, like what he was, what he was based on. Yeah, I think probably somewhere deep in my subconscious, it's like my own dad, because my dad is just, but my dad is not like emotionally repressed like that. He's very, my dad will cry anything, anything, everything. Yeah, exactly. I was like, anything, he's crying. But the like, the really like being himself with his kids more than anywhere else. So I think some of that's definitely rooted in my own dad. And then building the character, I was really thinking of Michael's strengths and like where he's best as an actor. And that's like Michael, the, the lead, sim- right? Who plays, yes. who plays Cal, yeah, right? who plays yeah. Cal. Yes. And it's like the simmering under the surface stuff that I think he really shines when he's doing. So I wanted to find something for him that would let him really showcase the things that he's best at. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, his performance was really strong and I was pretty, pretty impressed by, like you said, kind of like those more internal moments than anything, because it really does come across on screen. Uh, I don't know. I just believed he was like working on a farm and I believe that he was just like this guy who just really was just processing all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it really interesting to watch that because I was I just I guess what I wasn't expecting him to just be so, so strong in terms of his performance. And it was like kind of like pitch perfect for what what the story was, you know? Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a huge compliment also. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, it's it's a lot to, like, ask of an actor, I think, because act, they actors always, they want their emotions on the surface and they want it to be shown and felt, and this is so much more about internalizing it. You still feel it, but we don't have to see it as much as a lot of actors want to, like, not project, but really, like, have it at the top of everything. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that it wasn't just kind of like this just spew of like kind of here's what's happening. Like you're not spelling every single little bit out. And and so uh, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Uh, like, I don't know if you've ever seen Bird Box, but like that was like yeah. my biggest complaint was this is like <laughs> telling you literally everything. And no offense to anybody likes Bird Box, but like that was not my j- It was like it could have been my jam, but it so wasn't because they were just like constantly telling you everything that was going on was like, I've got eyeballs, man. Like, let's, right. <laughs> like, let's, let's just like, I don't know. Let's be a little bit more ambiguous about stuff. So I appreciated yeah. that. Um, because I don't, I don't think like, I really don't think movies 
at least not mainstream, obviously, is that's very much not a way of like how movies are made at this point. And those are my least favorite movies. I love. Yeah, I I, I kind of love a little bit of everything. Uh, and some of that Hollywood blockbuster stuff is great. But uh, for the most part, for my money, I, I like the more kind of ambiguous uh, or trash. But I mean, I like I like everything, <laughs> but I like the more ambiguous no in between ambiguous vibe. or trash, <laughs> ambiguous Nothing or trash. in the middle. Uh, that seems to be my MO. Uh, if you ask my wife, she'll just be like, yeah, you, that's a Keith movie. Like you like <laughs> garbage, but like it's fun like, garbage. Oh, Shark- Sharknado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun garbage. Funny. You know, fun garbage. I love fun garbage, but no, it, it's, it's refreshing to see that that kind of stuff is still getting made and, and it's, it's more thoughtful filmmaking. Uh, so I, I really appreciate it on that level. Uh, I also ended up checking out your short. Uh, I know you've made it a f- quite a few, but like, uh, let's see, it was from 2015, ASL. Uh, it was on YouTube. Oh, boy. You went deep in the archives. I did. <laughs> um, Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. So I, I had to, I, I was just like, I kind of wanted to do a little just like checking and and I always like to do my homework. But yeah. with ASL, that one caught me because I am a CODA. Uh, okay. So, so it had me just like visualizing my parents in that situation as children, you know, kind of entering into a mainstream type school. That's what they refer to it as like the hearing school. Uh, so yeah. it made for a more impactful viewing in like five, six minutes. But after watching it, I noticed there was a little residual sign language in Nehi as well. And I was just kind of curious if that, if like sign language was like a point of interest for you, or if you had any ties to the deaf community, I'm just kind of curious. I just thought that was like wild that eight years apart, you know, you've, you've thrown it in again. What? A great catch because I the part with the part with Avery doing sign language is a throwback to ASL. Oh wow, that's wild. It's okay, just, it was just me being a big sappy weirdo. No, I love because it. Because yeah. ASL was my that was my first film. Like oh wow, okay, film. yeah. So I was like, oh, you're in archives. That's the first film I ever wrote and directed. Um, and I was in college, and I think I was just thinking about when I wrote that. I was just thinking about like how hard it is to be a kid. And I'm like, but even more so for like kids that are deaf that are now like in mainstream school so that's how I made that that feels like a million years ago um (laughs) but yeah I I put that in there intentionally just as like a little nod because this is my first feature so like nod to my very first film so wow what a great catch I don't think many people I don't think a lot of people would have even uh, even noticed that he was doing so you know like it would have just been like kind of a a kind of gloss over moment but for me it like I was like yeah like I'm always flags up on that so uh, i just thought that was really cool uh that's, so that's, that's amazing that's great that that was like a, a little throwback so uh, and i also i just kind of get the impression just like based on perusing your titles and just kind of like looking into some of, i haven't watched all of them obviously but like looking at some of the synopses of them it just kind of strikes me as you being a very humanist filmmaker uh maybe slice of life a little bit but uh but definitely more of like focusing very much on human stories and i'm just kind of curious what are some films, and this can be general too, but like in terms of making Nehi, what were some of the films that you looked to as influence or or inspiration while making it? Like, what did you have in mind, uh, like in the back of your mind as you were making it? Just curious. Um, the biggest influence for me and that I tried to like communicate to the crew so we could all kind of see the vision better was Chloe Zhao's film, The Writer, um, which is the one starring Brady Jan as himself it's like his real story and he's he's not an actor he's just himself um just because it's exactly what you said it's so human um so that was like our biggest reference was think about this and like 
the way they work with how these people really are to tell this story. Um, that was the biggest reference as well as visually and tonally um, certain women with Lily Gladstone because it's another like slice of life, very human, like seeing people's like kind of the gross side of people's lives sometimes. Um, yeah, and I think that's like the best place to find inspiration is just like look at the worst part of your life and then make a movie about it or like the most mundane part like the stuff that people aren't really like oh this is glamorous like this is movie worthy because there's other stories everywhere you know yeah and also uh side note i wanted to give a little shout out to bruce james bales and jb from deft yeah. for, for their work on the film as cinematographer and composer respectively um i did meet both of them on the set of a friend andrew lopez's short that we did would have been like five years ago uh, that he shot in Pella. He came back from LA to shoot a little short, oh, and I was actually doing the score for that film. So I met oh, I met so those wild. guys there. So the the movie never got made. It, like the, I think it died in editing. Uh, but it happens. But it it, happens. I I feel like it's a very common tale for shorts and stuff. But um. But yeah, no. It, it but it was great to meet those two. And I actually JB and Mintz, uh, his partner, ended up shooting our pregnancy photos the first time around. Oh, so that's like awesome. yeah. So I just thought Such that was a really cool. World. I know, right? Yeah, I was just like, oh, I know these guys. I saw their names pop up and I was like, oh my gosh, I know these guys. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. And and so you guys are also doing a Q&A. So just as a reminder to everyone, Marissa will be doing a live Q&A alongside Bruce James Bales, who is a cinematographer, and the lead of Nehi, Michael Ridley, at the Varsity on Sunday, December uh, December 10th. So don't miss the opportunity to not only see the film on the big screen, but ask any questions you may have. And so are you, is this kind of like a thing you like doing in terms of like Q&As and stuff? Because that seems like a very rewarding part of having the film out and just being like, this is the cap. It's like, now I can talk about it and just like, let it all flow. I'm just curious, is that kind of a thing you you dig doing? Yeah. Um, I have done so few of them. Because oh, I guess for shorts, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. like, shorts is usually like, you know, there's five people from five different films. So it's like, oh, you get one question. And it's like a super, it's like a really general, like, I can't even think of an example, but it's usually like a super general question because they're so limited on time. So I'm really excited to do this. And we have um, Liz Gilman is moderating for us, um, the Iowa Film Commissioner, Commissioner, that word's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, she's moderating for us. So I'm really excited. Because I know she's going to have great questions and hopefully we'll have enough time to like open it up to the audience. Oh, man. Well, that's super exciting. I don't know that I'll be able to make it, unfortunately, because I think I'll be at home with child. I was uh, like, because too, you're having a baby because so I'm, soon. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so, but I wish you all the luck on on uh, on how, on how that screening and and thanks again for your time and congratulations on the film. So uh, it, it was just a pleasure to get to chat with you. Marissa, if anybody wants to find out more about Nehi or kind of your other directorial endeavors ahead of the screening, where can people find you online? The best place to get information about Nehi is on our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash Nehi film. Uh, and then for more stuff about what I'm doing, what's coming up, my website's probably the best place, which is just marissavon.com. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, we have a crazy stacked December for everyone, and I just think it's hard to disappoint. I'm looking at just a paragraph of titles, and it's absolutely bonkers to me how how amazing this is. Uh, you've got holiday films, you've got cult films, animated films, 
uh, I'll just kind of go down the list and then uh, you guys can make sure to check the website for times. Um, But as I'm short on time myself, I will do my best to rattle these off. Opening in December, we have Nicolas Cage's Dream Scenario, which looks absolutely amazing. We've got holiday classics like Home Alone, personal new favorite of mine, Christmas in Connecticut with Barbara Stanwyck. She gives such a charming performance in that movie. Violent Night, another new favorite. Muppet Christmas Carol, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Elf, Die Hard, Bob Clark's Black Christmas, the OG, absolutely stunning slasher film. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail's 48 and a half anniversary quote along. The introduction of our Varsity Cinema Trivia Night, which was promising to be fun, no doubt. Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. Satoshi Kon's Tokyo Godfathers, which I think that's going to be incredible to see on the big screen. Deadly Games, a.k.a. Dial Code Santa Claus, another new personal favorite in which a mentally unstable man dons Santa garb and goes on tor- uh, on a tormenting spree of a child who's basically home alone. And fun fact, there was actually a little bit of a lawsuit dispute at the time that uh, Home Alone had come out because the director of this film claimed that Chris Columbus had taken the idea from Dial Code Santa Claus, which, I mean, there's some similarity there for sure. But they are tonally so insanely different. So go to Dial Code Santa Claus and you be the judge. Uh, We've got Michael Mann's Ferrari and Bradley Cooper's Maestro, a documentary called Immediate Family about musicians, and the most anticipated film next to The Boy and the Heron for me this year, Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things. What a lineup, you guys. We are so lucky and fortunate to have the varsity be able to program all this amazing stuff for us so definitely don't sleep on these this is going to be uh, a month that you are going to want to just kind of chill the movies it's cold outside anyway you don't really want to i don't know you don't really want to do too much so you may as well cozy up with some popcorn and a drink and and just enjoy some films that concludes this month's episode again i want to give a big thank you to marissa vaughn for taking time out of her schedule to chat with me about knee high I hope everyone enjoys the film on December 10th. Again, 10 tickets left. Make sure you guys snag them. As always, make sure to head over to our newly fancified website, varsitydesmoines.com, to secure ticketing and gather screening times, membership information, our blog, and more. If you're a Letterboxd user, follow me at kwatchesfilm to see what I'm putting into my eyeballs. And also don't forget to follow the Varsity HQ account on Letterboxd at Varsity Cinema. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we'll meet you in the aisles. Thank you.